Well, good morning. Good to see all of you today. My name is Nathan. Welcome to Emmaus Church. Raise your hand if you like a Bible. We will hand one to you. Um, I'm going to be just all over the scriptures today, and so we're going to put a lot of the text on the screen. But you may see something on the screen that you don't remember reading before, and in that case, you, I'll put the reference up there, and you can maybe look it up in scripture and, and say, gosh, I don't remember even seeing that, and you can find it. Uh, so raise your hand if you like a Bible. I think it will be helpful to have one there for you. Um, Let's see, we partnered with a local coffee roaster named Valiant recently, and they're buying, we're buying our coffee from them. And um, if this is your first time here, if, if you're a first-time guest today, we love to give you a gift uh, of a, a sweet bag of coffee. Um, they partner with AIM, which is a local mission, a, a, a missions agency that's rooted here in Roseville. They do sex trafficking advocacy stuff in Cambodia, and we've worked with them for several years. So this is like a three-way partnership, and um, we're excited to kind of bring things together in that regard. So sometime during the morning, if this is your first time here and you'd like a bag of coffee there over there by the staircase, someone will be over there and would love to give you one. Glad you decided to join us and be with us here today on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. To you who are moms, we're grateful for you. We wouldn't be here without you. Amen. Grateful for you. It worked. It was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we talk about how I'm pretty much the least funny pastor uh, that we know. And uh, so I thought, I don't know if I should try a joke or not. That was, that was kind of my effort at a joke. Yeah. Is, is mom, she still serving food out there? All right. Well, I was just going to honor my mom today. Um, so grateful for her. Can you hear me? You're out there. Um, she is serving food like she has for me my whole life. And uh, I'm super thankful for her. She's been a key supporter of this church since we started, before we started. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I'm grateful for you, and we're thankful for you. Would you guys help me honor my mom for a minute? Good. My mom gave me my first Bible in 1984. It was Christmas, and that's interesting because none of us were Christians yet. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, something was going on. God was drawing us to himself. And, and uh, so over the next couple of years, all kinds of things changed in my family. We, we began to follow Jesus. Um, and so I was 12 years old. I'd never read the Bible before. I didn't know anything about Jesus or Christianity. I'd never read these stories before. And this Bible that my, my folks gave me that, that Christmas, I opened up the opening, like the, open, the first couple pages, and there was a... You know, some of these Bibles for teenagers, there's grids and pictures and sort of, you know, tables and stuff like Well, there was one that said the miracles of Jesus. I was like, he did miracles? That's good. So I was reading these miracles, uh, these, these things that Jesus did, mostly healings that uh, were attributed to Jesus in, in the Gospels. And I was fascinated by this. I just felt amazed by this. I didn't know anything about this. And I think maybe because I was so young, I just... Assumed it was true. I was like, this is incredible, you know? And, and I remember talking to the people in my family. This is down at the Yordana's house in Roseville. And I remember talking to the people in my family about the stuff I was reading. I was like, so there was a guy who was blind, and Jesus touched his eyes, 
and he was healed. Did you know that? That's amazing. There was a guy who was paralyzed, and his friends dug a hole in a roof and lowered him through the roof of the house right in front of Jesus, and Jesus healed him, and he walked out in front of everybody. Did you know that? This is incredible. And I was sort of uh, super enthusiastic about this, and I remember my parents and my family's reaction was somehow less enthusiastic about what I was, I would, I would uh, describe it as polite skepticism. I remember walking up to one uh, family member, and they said, wow, interesting. What else did you get for Christmas? <laughs> Let's move along. Yeah, show me the baseball bat. All right, so what's your, what's your reaction to the, the stories of the healings in the Gospels? Um, do you find yourself embracing the stories that are throughout Scripture and specifically in the Gospels of Jesus healing people. Have you found yourself amazed? Have you found yourself feeling skeptical? I imagine some of us have prayed for sick people before and they have been made well. Uh, I, I imagine some of us have even asked God to heal us before. And, and I wonder why we did that. Like, where did we get that idea? Where did that come from? Why is it that so often, at least in certain cultures, and the church culture is one of them. When we say somebody's sick, well, well, we'll pray for you. I imagine many of us have also viewed the stories of Jesus' healings with some polite skepticism, maybe some, some general frustration, maybe even some, some real pain and disappointment. Like, whatever happened to this? Where did this go? Does this still happen? Is this still in play? Did I miss a memo somewhere along the way? Because when you read the Gospels, it's this, uh, this much is clear. The healing work of Jesus was not an insignificant add-on to his ministry. Jesus' healing was not an occasional supplement to his main work. No, the Gospels clearly describe Jesus' ministry as teaching and healing. Teaching and healing, they go together. This is what Matthew writes in chapter 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, that's like a county or an area, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among them. Jesus' healing ministry was central. It was the primary visible evidence of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Jesus' healing ministry was the primary visible evidence of the arrival of the kingdom of God. So this morning I want to give a rapid 40,000 foot view of the doctrine of healing, of the biblical uh, perspective or teachings on divine healing. And then I want to point us toward a biblical course of action. And then after I preach during the time of receiving communion, uh, I will invite any of you who would like to come forward to the prayer ministers that are always here and to receive prayer for healing. Uh, maybe some of you are sick today. I want to invite you to consider receiving prayer for healing. Uh, maybe someone that you know and love is sick. I'm going to invite you when I'm done preaching to join with a couple other people and lift them to the Lord and ask God to heal them. All right, we're in the season of Easter, and our sermon series for this season is called Triumph. We're looking at the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're looking at Jesus' triumph over death and what that means. Today, specifically, we're going to look at how Jesus triumphs over sickness. The big idea today, and this is the single fill-in in your notes, the big idea today is this. Jesus heals people. 
Jesus heals people. I'm going to address six really basic questions about that. It's going to start kind of fast, and then I'll slow down and take a breath, all right? First, in the Bible, why did Jesus heal people in the Bible? Well, there's four big reasons. One, Jesus healed because he was the Messiah. The very definition of Jesus' identity was the primary mandate for his healing. Throughout the Psalms, which are the early prayers and songs of the Jewish community, the Messiah, that is the expected Savior of the world, was believed to carry the power of healing for the people. Matthew, who writes one of the Gospels about Jesus, takes great care in pointing out that Jesus healed in order to fulfill, fulfill the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, specifically that of this man named Isaiah, this prophet Isaiah, who wrote hundreds of years before Jesus. Isaiah is this Old Testament prophet. He sees into the future. He predicts that the one to save the people of Israel is going to be a suffering servant. And here's what he writes in his his book, his prophecy. It's called Isaiah, chapter 53. Sure, he's, he's imagining this coming Savior. And he's like, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And here's the key phrase, by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. Jesus heals because that's what the Messiah, the Savior of the world does. And that's who Jesus is. So when John the Baptist, now New Testament, he's the first person to point out and declare, he's the one. He's the Messiah. It's this one Jesus. When John is arrested by the king and put in prison, John starts to doubt whether he was right about Jesus or not. So he sends Jesus a message and says, are you the one or should we expect another? And Jesus replies to John's question by saying, listen, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are healed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. In other words, yes, I'm the one. I'm the one. I am the Messiah. That's why I'm healing people, because that's what the Messiah does, all right? A second reason Jesus healed was that he was establishing the kingdom of God on earth. That means he was bringing supernatural realities to bear on the natural. He was bringing future realities to bear on the present. He was bringing heaven to earth. He was restoring all things to their created purpose. Sickness was not a part of the original plan, okay? Sickness and disease come as a result of the fall of humanity. They are one of the consequences of sin. One of the reasons Jesus healed people is that he was putting broken things back together. He was establishing the kingdom of God on earth. A third reason Jesus healed people is because he was full of compassion. There there are at least eight times in the Gospels where the stated reason for Jesus healing people is simply that he was full of compassion for them. He sees a mother weeping over the loss of her child. He's full of compassion. He just, he just heals the child. So in other words, there was a need, and Jesus was compassionate. And then finally, and perhaps ultimately, Jesus heals in order to glorify his Father. This is the clearly stated purpose for several healings, including the resurrection of this man named Lazarus who had been dead for several days. All right, so those are four big answers to the question, why did Jesus heal? He healed because he was the Messiah. He healed because he was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. He healed because he was full of compassion, and he healed in order to give glory to his Father. We good? All right, here's another question. 
how did Jesus heal? On the surface, he heals in all sorts of ways. I'll get to that in a second. But Luke, who, by the way, Acts reveals, Luke writes Acts. <laughs> he didn't type it. Uh, <laughs> Luke writes Acts. And uh, he reveals in Acts that he is a physician. And this is fascinating because he's got this behind-the-scenes sort of interest in how is this actually happening, right? And so in Luke, we get all kinds of insight into the healing ministry of Jesus. And in short, what Luke says is Jesus heals by the power of God. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, it's not us. It's God who's healing through us and through Christ specifically. In the story of how the paralyzed guy was lowered down to Jesus through the roof, Luke writes this, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. Hmm, that's interesting. Luke later explains that people tried to touch Jesus because power was coming from him and healing them all. Another time Luke records that Jesus was being all smashed by this crowd, and everybody's jostling, and, and they're kind of going down this little crowded road, and all these people are around him, and all of a sudden Jesus stops, and he's like, hey, somebody touched me. Power has come out of me, Jesus says. And his disciples are like, everybody's touching you right now. It's just a crowd. But he stops, and he looks around until he finds somebody, this woman, who had this chronic issue for 12 years, and she had reached out to him and touched him in faith, and, and she had been healed of this. How did Jesus heal? He healed by the power of God. In terms of method, what the gospel writers are most captivated by is Jesus' use of touch. This method was remarkable because the people that Jesus touched were often contagious and always ceremonially unclean. Meaning, if you touched a sick person as a Jew, you couldn't go to church for a while. You were now unclean. Jesus touched the untouchables, and through his touch, many were healed. And the news gets out. Once a father comes to Jesus and says, put your hands on my daughter so that she will be healed. Once a friend of a blind man begs Jesus to touch him. Mark writes that whole regions would gather, and all who touched Jesus were healed. So touch was a remarkable method of Jesus' healing, but it wasn't the only method of his healing. He healed by pronouncement. Sometimes he healed people in other towns by remote. He just declared they were healed, and then the, the message would come back at that very hour. They were healed. At least once, Jesus heals by simply exercising his will. It's a great story. Uh, some people are arguing about Jesus, debating him. And Jesus will not engage. They're arguing with him because he's healing on the Sabbath. They consider that work, and therefore it's forbidden. Jesus doesn't engage with the argument. He just sees this dude over in the crowd with a little gimpy hand all, all withered up. And he just, at the end of the argument, he doesn't say anything. He just says, stretch out your hand. And the guy stretch out, stretches out his hand, and, and it's healed. So there are other methods of healing as well. It's hard to find, I'm not sure about this 100%, but I couldn't find an example where Jesus heals the same way twice. It's just all kinds of different methods of healing. Here's a third question. What did Jesus heal? Well, three times in Matthew alone, Jesus is said to have healed every disease and sickness. Jesus regularly demonstrates authority over the natural world in general. For instance, he calms the storm, he walks on the water, he changes water into wine. He also demonstrates authority over the supernatural or the spiritual world. He defeats the devil in the desert. He's constantly uh, taking authority over demonic powers. So healing is not a problem. Every disease and sickness, he's got that covered. In other words, whether the cause is physical or the cause is spiritual, 
Let's not get hung up on that because Jesus doesn't seem to. In fact, he doesn't seem to see much of a distinction between the two. Why do I say that? Because you know what one of the most common things Jesus says as he heals somebody is? Your sins are forgiven. Now that's interesting. Careful here. This isn't to say that your disease is necessarily your fault, okay? Um, your illness is not a punishment, okay? It's not. Um, it is to say that things like cancer and depression and addiction are results of our living in a broken world, okay? In other words, this is not the way it was designed to be. This is not the way it was created to be, but this is the way it now is. And Jesus has come to heal all of that, to defeat, in other words, sin and the grave. That's the phrase. Sin, that's the original catalyst for all the brokenness, and the grave, in other words, all of sin's effects, um, both personal, relational, cultural, social, environmental, and so on. So what we've said so far is this, healing is central to the ministry of Jesus, Jesus heals all diseases, and he heals them in a variety of ways. Here's another question. Then what happened? Well, four things primarily. Large crowds gathered. Both Matthew and Mark point out that Jesus is healing the sick is what attracted so many people to his ministry. That's why people came, because he was healing the sick. Matthew writes, news about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan, they followed him. Secondly, these crowds, which often numbered four or 5,000 people, when they witnessed, quote, the dumb speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, the blind seeing, do you know what they did? They praised the God of Israel. That's what they did. So large crowds gathered. Secondly, they would often end up praising God. Then many of the people being healed started following Jesus. Mary Magdalene is a famous example of that. She is healed in a remarkable fashion of a remarkable hindrance or issue, and then she follows Jesus um, with remarkable devotion. Common was the response of the two blind men recorded in Matthew 20. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. It's game changer, right? And then a fourth thing that happens is people criticize Jesus. And this increases in the third year of his ministry. Jesus' very acts of healing as well as his teaching surrounding the healings, his methods of healing, and his timing of healing, man, they do not fit the system embraced by the Jewish priests. They were immediately threatened by his power. They were challenged by his right to heal, um, and they challenged his uh, right to heal and to claim the things he did as he was healing. This is ironic. Many people overlooked the healing and focused on the ways that Jesus seemed to be breaking the rules and not fitting in with the system. In fact, it was after Jesus healed somebody that these people who were in religious power became, quote, furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So it's his healing that gets Jesus in trouble in the end. All right. That's a sprint through the why, the what, the how, and the then what of, um, of healing in the Gospels. 
Got room for a little bit more? Okay. Two more questions. What part do we play in the process? What's our job? Or how do we participate in divine healing? Well, the single most important human element in Jesus' ministry of healing, according to the Gospels, this is not my opinion, the single most important element, human element, related to divine healing, according to the Gospels, is faith. And that is challenging. And that is mysterious. But the gospel writers clearly proclaim that faith is the way we experience or access God's healing. It's through faith. To the hemorrhaging woman, to blind Bartimaeus, to the sinful woman, quote unquote, to the one of the ten lepers who returns, to several others, Jesus declares, your faith has healed you. Conversely, it is said that Jesus was unable to do many miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. Jesus even chastises his own followers, his disciples, who are unable to cast a demon out of a little boy because of their lack of faith. And then, like to add an exclamation point to the end of that statement, Jesus turns to the dad of the kid and says, anything is possible for him who believes. Right in front of his guys, right? And perhaps the most startling statement regarding the role of faith in Christ's healing ministry is seen in Matthew's gospel when two blind men follow Jesus into a room seeking his healing. Jesus says, do you believe I am able to do this? They say, yes, Lord. And then he says, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Yeah, it's powerful. It's it's complicated, and yet it's simple at the same time. It seems very clear that faith is, the, is critical in the healing ministry of Jesus. And what's really crazy about this is it doesn't even have to be your faith if you're the sick person. There's an example of this guy who's paralyzed. His friends bring him to Jesus. They can't get in the house. There's so many people there that there's no way through the door. So they climb up to the top of the house. They dig a hole through the roof of the house. They lower their friend down on a stretcher right in front of Jesus. And this is what it says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, get up, your sins are forgiven. And then it says he got up in front of everybody, took his mat, and walked home. Mark writes, in, few, in full view of them all. Yeah. So this is where stuff gets weird sometimes. This is where teachings about healing run off the rails, in my opinion, sometimes. Because on one hand, faith is critical for healing. But on the other hand, it doesn't have to seem to have to be the faith of the sick person. It doesn't seem to have to be a lot of faith. Jesus says if you have the faith of a mustard seed, which is about the smallest thing you can see, you can move mountains. And so according to the Bible, we should have faith that Jesus can and will heal the sick. But the key is to have faith in Jesus. Not faith in ourselves. Not faith in um, our methods. And not faith in faith. If somebody says, well, she didn't get healed because uh, you didn't have the right people praying for her, I would say, oh, no, no. It's, it's not about the right people. It's about Jesus. Okay. If somebody says, well, he didn't get healed because you didn't pray the right way, I would say, and what is the right way exactly? 
because uh, Jesus healed people in so many ways. In the Bible, people are healed through water, oil, mud, spit, touch, and a snake raised up on a stick, right? I mean, it's crazy. It's true. Yeah. Um, God heals people in all sorts of ways. Through modern Western medicine, God heals people. Through ancient Eastern medicine, God heals people. Through prayer, God heals people. And if somebody says, well, she didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith, I would say, and how much is enough? Please tell me. Can't turn this into a formula, okay? There's a lot of information in Scripture, but you cannot formulize it. It won't fit that way. Jesus doesn't heal the same way twice. There's a lot of information in the Bible, more than we could cover in several sermons, but you know what? Ultimately, this divine healing is a, is a mystery. It's, it's veiled in mystery. And you know the mysterious question. You're feeling it. Some of you are crying about it right now. Why does he heal some and not others? Right? Why does he heal some and not others? It's a mystery. I don't know. I don't know. What's clear is we are taught to place our faith in Jesus. That's what's clear. Doesn't quite answer all my questions, but that's what the word says. There's no formula, and it's a mystery. All right, last question. You guys are doing great. What should we do? What should we do? Let me just be really specific here. What should we do with this significant scriptural emphasis on healing in light of the undeniable fact that we rarely, if ever, see somebody get healed. What do we do here? Well, simply stated, the church should continue the healing ministry of Jesus. The church should continue the healing ministry of Jesus. We should keep praying for people. We should keep asking God to heal people. There are lots of reasons for this. Here are two really basic ones. First, because the word tells us to. Because the Bible declares that this is what we should do. Jesus' brother James says it very clearly. This is James 5.13. I think I missed it. Oh, no, there it is. Is any of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. End of the Bible, post-resurrection, post-ascension, early Christian church, brother of Jesus, authority over Jerusalem. We've got a whole lot of reasons to believe this is still in play. In fact, there is no indication in Scripture that says that the healing ministry of Jesus is discontinued, right? Now, there are certainly modern voices within Christianity that will say that the healing ministry of Jesus or the church is over. But that argument is based on the absence of experiential evidence. It is not based on the absence of biblical evidence. You just got to understand that. We should continue the healing ministry of Jesus because the word teaches us to. And secondly, we should continue the healing ministry of Jesus because there are still sick people, right? There's still need for healing. There's still need for divine healing, for supernatural healing. Modern medicine can be remarkably effective, but modern medicine is also limited. We still need God to heal people, okay? And, and I'll say this, that in our darkest days, in my family's most desperate hours, 
in the pediatric oncology wing of Sutter Memorial Hospital in downtown Sacramento. Losing a child was a real possibility. It was happening all over that hallway, all around, and this was the reason that drove us to pray. What was the reason? We needed God's healing. We needed it. We were desperate for our need for it. And in those long nights spent in the hospital several times over many years, what drove me to ask God to heal my son was this simple truth. I needed him to do it. Okay? At this point in time, I'm not talking about my education. I'm not relying on my denominational perspectives. I'm not even thinking about my own personal experiences. I'm just thinking about my, I need your help, God. I was reduced to a position of a child. I knew I needed help, and so I looked to my father to make it better. That's as real as it got. My actions were not motivated by the things that would motivate my response intellectually to a, to a theological or doctrinal question. No, it was much more primal than that. It was about my need. It was about my need. And of course I knew that healing might not come in the way I wanted it to. Of course I knew that. But in those moments, I wasn't wrestling with my theology. I wasn't trying to figure it out. I was just pleading with God, God, please heal my son. Please heal my son. The last line of Psalm 138 became our prayer. You know what it says? Do not abandon the works of your hands. That's what we prayed. Do not abandon the works of your hands. This is a beautiful boy. What should we do? I think it comes down to this. I think we should approach God as a good parent. We should ask him for what we need. I think we should resist the temptation to try to figure it out. It's above our pay grade. I think we just come to God as Father. We try to trust his character. We tell him what we need. We tell him what we're longing for. We tell him what we believe would be good. And then we trust that he will take good care of us. He'll do what we need him to do for his purposes. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you a good story here at the end. Uh, I know that was kind of heavy. Well, this is a funny story. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, and I'm going to tell you this story because I hope it will encourage your faith. That's, the, that's why I'm telling you this, because I hope it will encourage your faith. It was 2004. We had moved to Lincoln to start this church, but we, weren't, we were like a Bible study of 12 people, so we weren't even meeting on Sundays yet. So on Sundays, Carmen and I and our two little kids, we'd visit churches all over the area. And a friend of mine had started a church in South Sacramento. His name was Sherwood Carthen. And it was about an hour, I mean, it was about a year into this, this church plant, and we wanted to go visit it because it had exploded. And on the morning that we were going to go to his church, um, Carmen was super sick, so she stayed in bed, and I went down there by myself. And we're meeting in this huge high school auditorium, and I'm in the, like, nearly the very back, and I'm just there to learn. I'm there to, like, try to gather information about how you plant churches. <laughs> and after this big, long, powerful worship set, um, 
the, they, they invited people who needed healing to come down, come forward and receive healing. Now, you got to understand, I was in a part of the city where I didn't necessarily feel like I blended in. The church and the style of worship, very different from what I was used to. It was really comfortable for me to just stand in the back and just observe. That's why I was there, after all. I wasn't really there to, you know, participate. I was there to observe, right? I'm just there to learn. So then they kind of expand the invitation, and they say, do you know anybody who's sick? You should come forward and pray for their healing. And I'm like, oh, man. Okay, well, I do. My wife's home at sick, and she's sick at home. And, and, uh, and I guess I should, like, if I believe, I, I do. I believe God can heal, so got me, right? You called my number. So there I go. I walk down the aisle, and there's a lot of people, and I, and I walk up, and there's a line in front of this, this person here. I can't even see her yet. And then the line parts, and here she is. She's this very large African-American woman, and she just says, come on, baby, like this. And I'm like, okay. And I said, my, my wife is home at sick, and I am not kidding you. She grabs my head, and she puts it right here on her shoulder, and she just prays for me. She just prays her heart out for me. And I'm getting moved by the faith of this woman praying for my wife that she doesn't even know, and she's never even seen me before, right? So <laughs> at the end, she takes my head, she pulls it back, and she looks at me in the eye, and she says, and I just believe that when you get home, your wife's going to be standing in the kitchen making you a sandwich. <laughs> and I, I don't even know what I did, but I just turned around, and uh, I'm walking back up the aisle, and this is the thought that hits me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. My, my wife doesn't even make sandwiches. She makes quesadillas, right? It's quesadillas for lunch. It's always quesadillas. You've become a great sandwich maker since then, actually. So we go through this big, long church service. It's awesome. I'm driving home all the way from South Sac. We lived over here on East Avenue. We walk in our front door to the living room, turn left down the hallway to the bedroom, kitchen to the right. I walk in living room, I turn left to go down to the bedroom to see my wife, and I hear, no kidding, I hear over my shoulder from the kitchen, hey, you're home. You want a sandwich? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Remember that? Yeah. So, uh, in a minute, uh, in a minute, um, I hope that we feel a sense of freedom to just come to our good father with our real needs. And maybe there's a physical ailment that is dragging you down. Maybe you got a broken heart. Maybe there's another issue. Maybe you'd like to ask us to pray with you for someone else. But let's not freak out about it. And let's not have a set of expectations that ultimately keeps us paralyzed. Let's just, may God give us the grace. That's what we need. May God give us the grace and the freedom to be like children before him and just to bring our needs to him uh, and to ask for his healing. Lord, uh, have your way here among us today. May your power be present to heal. May your people be full of faith and trust. And may you deliver us uh, from the brokenness that we are trudging through in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.